Well, why don't you turn to your neighbour and say, we're going to read from Luke chapter 8 this morning. In 8 verse 40. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So if you're using the NLT or the NIV, uh, it's a little bit different, but, um, but it's there all the same. So, so the Passion Translation from Luke chapter 8 verse 40. When Jesus returned to Galilee, the crowds were overjoyed, for they'd been waiting for him to arrive. Isn't that amazing? Jesus turns up in town. And people are overjoyed because they've been waiting for him to arrive. There is hundreds, if not thousands of people jostling the streets because here comes Jesus. And they are so excited, so anticipating something's going to happen. Why is all this joy? Why is all this excitement? Why is all this expectation? Because of the reports about him. He walks into town. If you're sick, you're going to be healed. If you're oppressed, you're going to be delivered. If you need a miracle, Jesus is the person. Jesus is a rock star. And he turns up and people are excited about it. How excited about, are you about Jesus this morning turning up? How excited? You are great. I want to encourage us to, to really build and develop an atmosphere of expectation for Jesus to turn up. He's here all the time. He's within us. He's around us. But sometimes we can come to church and just go, well, I'm just going to sit down and just watch what happens. Well, Jesus wants us to stand up and be excited because he's just arrived in town. And these people were excited. And there were two people in particular that were really excited that he arrived. One of them, as we read in the next verse, just then a man named Jairus, the leader of the local Jewish synagogue, fell before Jesus' feet. He desperately begged him to come and heal his 12-year-old daughter, his only child, because she was at the point of death. So here's Jairus. In Mark's account, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, we're in Capernaum, the village where Jesus is ministering from, where Jesus has stood up earlier, where we read in Luke 4, to say that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news. No doubt Jairus was there, has heard all of the accounts of Jesus, been to the doctors, and his daughter is getting iller and iller and sicker and sicker. And he comes to the end of himself. The good thing is, Jairus is amongst an environment of expectation. And isn't it good when we can create an environment of hope and expectation for our friends that are in need? Jairus says, what says he desperately begged to come to heal his 12-year-old daughter. Who's ever been desperate for something? We all have, if we're honest. <clears throat> I said this in the 9am, I sort of dug myself a bit, of a, a bit of a hole and you probably want to see me do the same thing. So I'll tell you what I said. I was desperate. Um, 34 years ago, I've been desperate many times since, but I was particularly desperate this time to woo the attention of Wendy. But there was competition. It was fierce. It was a bit like the All Blacks in England last night. <laughs> yeah, well, probably best not to go there, eh? Um, anyway, so, so here was Wendy and here was this other guy. And there may have been another two guys actually, but, but it was on. And um, what Wendy would do was go to the, 
um, our church in Palmerston North during the lunchtime and play piano along with this other guy. And I thought, hmm, I need to be there too. <laughs> so I would turn up and I could, they, they were like this, who's this guy? And I'd walk in there, you know. Let me play those keys. And they would just, and I could tell Wendy, oh, whatever, whatever. So I had to go, now this is good for you young guys. I had to call in real big armour. I got hold of Wendy's mum. And I said, Wendy's mum, I need help. And she said, I'll help you out. So that was good. So do you want to hear how the help went? Yeah, so, on, so I wasn't winning this lunchtime battle, okay? I mean, I was just pushed out to the side. Um, but one Sunday night, <laughs> Wendy's mum said to me and Wendy at the same time, oh, what's say Ray comes home for um, some supper this evening. And sort of Wendy goes, really? And I go, yeah, baby. <laughs> so Wendy, she's, her mum's got a uh, Holden Belmont and... Yeah, way to go. So I put my, my push bike, because I was biking to church those days, as we did, in her boot. And um, then I'm sitting in the back seat with Wendy. You know, she's, I'm trying to get close. She's trying to get further away. <laughs> she's wondering, how on earth did this happen? Thanks, Mum. Good job. And um, so that was really good. Wendy was a little bit bemused, and I thought, I've got to seize this opportunity. So the expectation's high on me, you know. Would you like to go out for a date? And she says, no. <laughs> oh, man, I was deflated. But you don't give up. You've got to keep pushing on. You just don't take the first no as a no. So um, a few days later, I asked again. I may have asked three or four times. I don't know how many times I asked. But I finally got a yes. And as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> so here's Jairus, he's desperate And the good thing is when you're desperate You can have good outcomes Because desperation means we do things That we normally wouldn't do And that's the positive thing about desperation So here's Jairus, he's desperate for Jesus to come Jesus says, yep, we're on the way Let's go to your daughter, Jairus So Jesus is walking along the road following Jairus, there's lots and lots of people around. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And we read this in verse 43. In the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered greatly for 12 years from slow bleeding. Even though she had spent all she had on her healers, she was still suffering. Pressing in the crowd, she came up behind Jesus and touched the tassel of his prayer shawl. Instantly, her bleeding stopped and she was healed. Suddenly, Jesus stopped and said to his disciples, Someone touch me. Who is it? While they all denied it, Peter pointed out, Master, everyone is touching you, trying to get close to you. The crowds are so thick. We can't walk through all of these people without being jostled. Jesus replied, But I felt power surge through me. Remarkable. So here's Jairus. He's on track with Jesus. We're going to go and get my daughter healed. He's so expectant about that. Because one of the things I love about what Jairus does, he kneels down. And this is a great example that Jairus is showing us. He's come to the end of himself. He's done everything he can until finally there's only one thing he can do. 
Say, I'm too weak to do it. Jesus, I need your strength. And you know when Jesus sees that, that's what he's looking for. He says in Matthew three seven, uh, Matthew five three. Sorry, blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we come to ourselves and say, Lord, this is beyond me, Jesus says, that's the moment I'm looking for. Now I can step in. Your weakness is an opportunity for my strength to be displayed. And so maybe we just take a few moments right now. Maybe we just close our heads and close our eyes and bow our heads. Close our heads, how do you do that? That's, that's an interesting one. So Father, as we close our eyes and bow our heads, Father, I pray, Lord, as we've just read of Jairus, Lord, he came to the end of himself. He kneeled, he's desperate. Father, Lord, we come to the end of ourselves of trying to do things by our own strength, by our own ways, our own efforts. And Lord, we lay them down at the foot of the cross. And Jesus, we invite you to come and fill every part of our lives. That the miracle working power that worked through Jairus and the woman in the story, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active in us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, we humble ourselves, acknowledging our weaknesses and acknowledging that you are the source of our strength and our hope. And we place our strength in you. And everyone said, Amen. So Jesus stops. Someone touched me. Now, you can imagine Jairus going, Jesus, we're on a mission here. We've got to get to my daughter. And so here's Jairus and Jesus walking down the road, and Jesus just stops. And uh, Jairus has a thing that we all have, which is unvoiced or unverbalized expectations. So Jairus is thinking, the moment Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house, Jairus is thinking, yeah, that's just, that's all we're doing. We're doing nothing else, Jesus. And the moment Jesus stops, Jairus is thinking in his mind, that's not part of the deal. Do you know, sometimes Wendy looks at me when I come home at the end of the day and says, I expected the dishes to be washed. It's an unvoiced expectation. Because if she'd asked me about that early in the morning, I'd say, well, I won't tell you what I would say. <laughs> because I'll get in trouble with Wendy. <laughs> I'd probably say something like, oh, can you do those, darling? She'd say, I'm not doing those. You can. So unvoiced expectations, we all have them. But when they're not met, they cause disappointment. And Jairus is going, what on earth is going on here, Lord? You meant to be coming to my place. And here's this woman. For 12 years, she's had an issue of blood. She's By the law, the Jewish law, there's 613 Jewish law commandments in the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. 613. One of them is, in her condition, she can't interact socially with people. She can't be in a place of intimacy with her husband. She can't be in a place of even preparing food. She's isolated. It's not only been for a short period of time, not 12 days, not 12 months, but 12 years. She's an outcast. In fact, in the culture, um, some considered that if this was their issue, it was God's judgment because they've been promiscuous. So she was absolutely ostracized. And yet in the place of her uh, despondency, in the place of her hopelessness, she dreams again that Jesus is in town. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus 
can heal me. And so as we read in that story, she comes up and touches the tassel of Jesus' garment or Jesus' prayer shawl. So Jesus' prayer shawl, like any Jewish person of the day, is a really interesting garment. It's a, a white piece of fabric that often has blue um, threads lined into it as well. And on each corner, it has a tassel. And the way the tassels are made on each corner is that four strands um, are taken and they're put in a hole in the corner and the four strands are, are brought through to make what is a total of eight strands. And then they're tied off with have five knots. So eight strands with five knots. And what's really interesting in Hebrew culture or the Hebrew language is that every letter has a number. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and say, every Hebrew letter has a number. And when you take each number of the word tassel, it adds up to 600. Isn't that amazing? And when you add the number of threads and knots, it adds up to 613, which is the same number of commandments in the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. And the reason these prayer shawns are worn by Jewish people is that every time they look at these tassels, it reminds them of the 613 commandments. And when they see them, when they look at them, you can read about this in Leviticus and Numbers, there they are reminded of their need to keep their focus on Jesus, to keep their focus on the Lord and obey the commandments. And this woman, she's been extremely courageous and extremely bold because she shouldn't be in a public environment. She's touching people and um, rubbing shoulders with them. The moment she's doing that, she ceremonially is making them unclean. But she's got her attention set on one thing. I just want to grab these or this tassel. And this morning, Gillian showed me a beautiful picture in uh, Galilee of a church where there's a painting where this woman is down on her knees, stretching out to touch the tassel of Jesus. What I think is remarkable here is that Jesus, there's one thing in the scripture that Jesus gets amazed by. It's people's faith or lack of it. You remember the story when Jesus is in Nazareth and he's preaching and he can't do many miracles and it says he's amazed at their unbelief? Then likewise, when he heals the centurion um, soldier's servant, Jesus says, I'm amazed at his faith. Faith is something that amazes Jesus. Not biblical knowledge, not a person's position in society, not how articulate they are. It's their faith that amazes Jesus. In fact, do you know faith is irresistible to Jesus? When Jesus sees faith, he runs to that thing. He wants to connect. When you show faith in your heart, you are absolutely irresistible to him. And when that woman reaches out in faith to touch that tassel, even with Jesus not knowing, there's a supernatural exchange that happens from the kingdom of heaven into her body. And the power of God flows from Jesus and heals her. And this is what's so amazing in this story. As she touches those tassels, representing those 613 commandments, the law of Moses, which says that she's ceremonially unclean, what she's really touching is the grace of God. And the grace of God and the truth of who Jesus is flows into her and heals her. And for the first time in her life, 
she's healed in 12 years anyway. And it's remarkable in the scriptures, and we'll, we'll just go back there, reading on. In verse uh, 46, Jesus replied, But I felt power surge through me. Someone touched me to be healed, and they received their healing. It's a remarkable statement. Somebody touched me to be healed, and they received their healing. As she stood in front of or kneeled down before Jesus, she perceived him to be her healer. She didn't perceive him to be the carpenter. As I mentioned earlier in Nazareth, where the people perceived him as the carpenter, the person who made chairs and tables, and Jesus couldn't do many miracles because their perception of him was the carpenter. Here, her perception of Jesus is the healer. And Jesus asked this question throughout the Gospels a number of times, who do you say that I am? He said it of Peter at Caesarea Philippi. Who do they say that I am? Some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah. Peter says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our perception, our revelation of Jesus is so important. Why? Because it determines what we receive from him. If we perceive him to be a teacher, that's what we receive. If we perceive, as the people in Nazareth did, that he's a carpenter, will receive table and chairs. But if we perceive he is the son of the living God, the Messiah, the healer, the one who loves us, the commander in chief, the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of gods, guess what we receive? All of who he is. And so I want to encourage you to dig the word of God and mind the word of God, to perceive all of who Jesus is, because he's much more than what we can think or imagine. And your faith is irresistible to him. So she perceived him as healer, and that's what she received. It goes on in verse 47. When the woman realized she couldn't hide any longer, she came and fell trembling at Jesus' feet. Before the entire crowd, she declared, I was desperate. Jairus was desperate, this woman was desperate to touch you. For I knew if I could just touch even the fringe of your robe, I would be healed. Jesus responded, and this is the only time in the gospel that Jesus responds this way. Beloved daughter. He calls no other woman who's been touched by his ministry, daughter. Your faith in me has released your healing. You may go in peace. And this is, Jesus is doing this publicly. The one thing that she's missed out on for 12 years is family. Social connections with her wider family and friends. It just hasn't been there. And the very thing that she needs, she came for healing. But Jesus says, I'm giving you much more. I'm giving you much more. When we come to God today and we have a need and he meets our need, I can tell you, your faith is irresistible. He wants to give you much, much more, more than what you can think or imagine. You're my daughter. You're part of my family. And publicly, Jesus is declaring she is clean. Her uncleanness could never pollute Jesus. His cleanness, his holiness, his healing power overcame any sin in her life. You may go in peace. Isn't that a great statement? Go in peace, be whole, go in shalom, go in fullness, go in completeness. 
While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, someone came from Jairus' house and told him, there is no need to bother the master any further. Your daughter has passed away. She's gone. Could you imagine how Jairus just felt? He was calling Jesus at the very beginning of the story, walking down the lane, and then this woman comes on the scene and just holds everything, stops the procession, stops the journey to his house. Can you imagine how he feels? Really frustrated. How could you do this to me? I'm sure those thoughts were going. And you know, God's delays are not God's denials. So often it's easy to see God's delays in our lives as God's denials. I think of the story of Mary and Martha, right, when Jesus raises Lazarus. Mary and Martha send messengers to Jesus, come, our brother Lazarus is not well. Will you come and heal him? Jesus stays in the village where he is for another two days after receiving that message. And when he finally gets back to Mary and, and uh, Martha, Lazarus has died. Their expectation, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come straight away? God had something greater in store. And this is where we really need one another, don't we? When we have an expectation for something, when disappointment comes because it didn't turn out the way that we thought it would, when a negative word, and this is so important to discern, you can receive the facts about something, but the truth is quite different. The fact is, yes, she passed away, but the truth is, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the truth is what we need. The truth is what sets us free. The truth is where we need to find and press into God this morning. What truth is the Lord wanting to reveal to you? I just want to, let's just pause there for a couple of moments. Maybe close your eyes and let's ask the Lord this question. I, I'm just going to ask you to ask the Lord this. Lord, what truth do you want to reveal to me this morning? Just ask him that. Just take a few moments to just tune into his voice. What truth do you want to re reveal to me this morning? If you've received anything, can you give me a wave? Great. It's great. Great to see. If you haven't, I encourage you to go home and just continue to ask the Lord that same thing. What truth do you desire to, yield to re reveal to me? So in verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking to the woman, someone came from Jairus' house and told them there's no need to bother the master any further. Your daughter has passed away. She's gone. When Jesus heard this, he said, Jairus, don't yield to your fear. Have faith in me and she will live again. Isn't that an amazing statement? When we're faced with difficult circumstances, when fear comes raging towards us, Jesus says, don't listen to the fear. Have faith in me. You know, there's a story about Dr. Edith Eger. She's a Holocaust survivor. She was a young girl when she went into the concentration camps in 1943. She saw her parents murdered, her sister murdered. She went on to become one of the world's leading clinical psychologists. Uh, psychologists. And she writes in her book called The Choice. And she said it took her a long time to learn this. But she said suffering is universal. But victimhood is a choice. 
Suffering is universal, but victimhood is a choice. She said it took her a long time to see, but she had a choice to make, even the depth of her suffering. And what I so uh, am amazed is how Jesus honours Jairus' choice. You can yield to fear or you can yield to the truth and faith in me. And praise God, Jairus yields to faith and says, Jesus, let's go hand in hand and face this challenge together. What challenge do you have before you today that you need to go hand in hand with Jesus and face it together? When they arrived at the house in verse 51, Jesus allowed only Peter, John, and it says in the, the Passion Translation, Jacob along with his child's parents to go inside. Jesus told those left outside who were sobbing and wailing with grief, stop crying. She's not dead. She's just asleep and must be awakened. I can only imagine what Jairus and his wife were thinking right at that stage. They laughed at him. Knowing for certain that she had died, Jesus approached the body, took the girl by her hand, and called out with a loud voice, My sleeping child, awake, rise up. Instantly her spirit returned to her body, and she stood up. Jesus directed her stunned parents to give her something to eat, and ordered them not to tell anyone what just had happened. Isn't that amazing? Jesus goes into the very centre of their desperation. The very place of their greatest pain. And they're facing it there with him. Without anything to say, now it's only the words of Jesus. In a loud voice, arise. Rise up, young one. And her spirit returns to her body. And she's resurrected. I love Jesus' practical approach to this. Give her some food. She's been sick for days. She hasn't eaten. She's thirsty. Feed her. And I can imagine like Peter's uh, mother-in-law who Jesus healed. As soon as she was healed, she got up and served other people. It's amazing. Jesus is so focused, not only the spiritual exchanges, but practical realities. He's such a real person who's so interested and just as Jesus is irresistible to the people of that community and to our community, your faith is irresistible to Jesus. I want you to know that this morning. Your faith, even as small as a mustard seed, is irresistible for, to him. He's looking for it. He's wanting to partner with it. He's wanting to bring the supernatural to manifest into the natural because you have faith. Because you have hope in him. These two stories, the story of Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood, is a very prophetic statement that Jesus is saying here. It's easy to miss. I've always been curious that the girl, Jairus' daughter, was 12 years old, and the woman with the issue of blood was 12 years old. When I think about 12, I naturally go straight to my beekeeping experiences, where I I had newly started beekeeping and I had a two-piece suit, which means I had a suit that went from my neck down and a piece of headgear and I had opened my beehive and I leaned over and unknown to me, my headgear had opened up and some bees had got into my headgear and then I was running around the front lawn 
like there was no tomorrow, trying to whack these bees. And when I finally got my headgear off, here I had 12 stings. And the ones particularly up here on your bone, really, really painful. So um, that's what the number 12, when I think about it, 12 strings, and I can say for the next couple of days, I was, yeah, a bit of entertainment for more than 12 people with my face swollen out. But from a biblical perspective, the number 12 talks of the church. It talks of governmental authority. And what Jesus is making a statement here is a transition from the old way of government, the Old Testament, into the New Testament. And as this woman touched the tassel, representing the Old Testament, the commands, as she touched those and linked to the grace and truth of Jesus, John John 1.14 says, The law was given through Moses, the 613 commandments, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. As she latched onto that, she was latching onto the grace and the truth of Jesus. And just as Jesus is amazed by faith, and faith is irresistible to him, as we are singing today, so we're amazed by his grace and his kindness. And one of the things I love about the story that reflects and shows that the greatness of Jesus is his kindness to this woman and to Jairus and his family. He is immensely kind to them, and he's immensely kind to you and I. And so what Jesus is saying, this is the conclusion of the Old Testament. What it couldn't deliver, the New Testament and me will deliver. For the shedding of my blood, one sacrifice and all, will wash away the sins of all people. Through my death and resurrection, there is life and life to the full in me. And it's a picture of, of moving from the old covenant to the new covenant through the miraculous supernatural power of Jesus. And that's the joy that we have today of living in it. And Jesus has called each one of us to be like little Jesuses, going out and sharing the good news, praying for the sick and seeing them made well, praying for the oppressed and seeing them delivered. Sing God move and give people hope and peace. Isn't that awesome? What an awesome Jesus we serve. He's irresistible. That's why so many people gathered around him. And I trust he's irresistible to you today because your faith is irresistible to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful story. And Jesus, we're amazed at your grace, at your kindness to release your healing power, Lord, into this woman and to raise Jairus' daughter. That, Lord, both of them had new lives because they met you and you changed their lives forever.